Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Duke fans, welcome to episode 449, 449 of the DBR podcast, The Duke Basketball Report. I'm Jason Evans, here for your listening enjoyment. I am joined, as I almost always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Donald, I think you've been traveling a little bit lately. What's up to, my friend? Uh, yeah, I'm back from Europe. Um, thank you guys for holding it down uh, in my absence last week. But uh, yeah, I had a great trip to Europe. Went to uh, Madrid, went to London, went to Pamplona. Uh, got to see a lot of the countryside and learned a lot about the charging stations uh, for electrical cars in Spain. Don't do electrical cars in Spain. It's not really up to snuff yet. But uh, yeah, I had a great time. Went to a lot of soccer games and uh, was still keeping abreast of all the stuff going on back home. So glad to be back to talk about it. 
Excellent, excellent. And Sam Klein, Sam is sipping on a tasty beverage as we speak right now. How you doing, Sam? It's a seltzer, a, a non-alcoholic seltzer. It's uh, it's a Lacroix Pamplemousse flavor. Ah, that's one of my let's favorites. Not, let's it's not the, uh, let's the, not pretend like the OG. I hear. Let's not pretend I'm I'm being too spicy today. Uh, <laughs> I have not traveled nearly as extensively as Donald has, so I have no uh, I have no interesting travel stories to share. But it is a beautiful time of year to be up in New England. So that's a positive. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So, gentlemen, here's the rundown for today. Uh, we will be discussing um, uh, ACC Media Day this week. Some interesting comments from John Shire and from some other folks about what to expect from the ACC and the entire world of college basketball this year. Ken Pomeroy, our friend, friend of the podcast, Ken Palm, has released his preseason rankings as he told us a few weeks ago when he was on uh, on our podcast as a guest. By the way, if you have not listened to that episode, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Go back in time and listen to our extensive conversation with Ken Pomeroy. Anyway, Ken Pomeroy told us at that time, he's like, you ain't going to like my ranking of Duke. Uh, <laughs> he, he was quite open about the fact that he is skeptical of the Blue Devils this year. So we will be discussing his brand new, just released rankings of every team in college basketball this year. But... We are going to start with this. It is not something I am looking forward to talking about necessarily, but I feel like we really need to. The Duke Blue Devils played a football game on Saturday against the UNC Tar Heels. It was an outstanding game. Tons of fun to watch, but goes down. I've been watching Duke football for 30 plus years now. Um, more than that, 30 some odd years since since I started attending Duke in fall of 1986. And, sorry, the fall of 1985. Um, and this this ranks up there. This has got to be one of the three to five most excruciating losses that I've experienced as a Duke football fan. We fall to the Carolina Tar Heels 38 to 35 in a game that featured a ton of offense, like 38 to 35 doesn't even cover how much offense there was in this game. Guys, did you all see the total yards that each team had? Duke 542. UNC 536, both teams, 500 plus yards of offense. This was an orgy of offensive explosion. Am I allowed to say that on, on a, I, I think that was inappropriate, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> we'll put the, we'll put the E, we'll put the explicit on this one for, yeah, I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled about that expression, but whatever. <laughs> All right. So Sam, uh, I will come to you first, man. That, that was painful, wasn't it? It was extremely painful. Uh, for those who weren't watching, there was a moment in this game with about two and a half minutes left where Duke was up by four inside the Carolina 20. Uh, there aren't many ways to lose a game from there. Uh, and just in case you didn't see it or in case you need to have the knife twisted another quarter turn, Duke uh, suffers a few penalties. They have a long field goal. They, they miss the field goal. Uh, I'm not putting this one on on kicker Charlie Ham. He did not have to take a field goal that was that long. This is not his fault. Duke misses the field goal. UNC drives down the other way, scores a touchdown with about 20 seconds left, gives Duke only time for basically desperation plays to potentially get down and tie it. Uh, they fail to do that. Again, I'm not blaming the team for that. Uh, hey, 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 Sam. Sam, actually, I, I know I tossed it to you, but if I can just really, really quick, I would just like to point out you, you mentioned – the 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 flags uh, duke is two flags two penalties away from being six and one because just last week the almost the exact same thing happened duke had the ball duke essentially has the ball inside the five yard line 
in the closing minutes, knowing that a touchdown wins the game. Like at Georgia Tech, if we score a touchdown in overtime, game over, we win. Against UNC, if we score a touchdown, game over, we win. Um, and also knowing in both cases. Duke, Duke, Duke kicks a field goal. UNC has to drive down, yeah. get a touchdown, and convert the two-point. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, in both cases, we know that a field goal is no worse than a tie. And in both cases, killer flags knock us back so much that we can't even get a field goal. But that's, I mean, razor thin to being six and one for this team. All right, sorry, you go on. And 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 maybe the penalties is what we want to talk about because the penalties were a huge downer for Duke. The other thing is that uh, when when the going got tough, Carolina had way too many offensive options, too many weapons that Duke was not able to shut down. There were there were some periods where Duke was able to limit Drake May at the quarterback position, but for the most part, May found outlets. He found guys who were in the flats. Um, he didn't. He he made a couple long throws that were pretty impressive, but for the most part, Duke was getting burned on five, six, seven, eight yard, uh, you know, chunk pass plays as opposed to the big downfield ones. So that was that was what stood out to me. On the flip side. I think going into this game, if you want to take a positive spin, Duke was not expected, I think, to compete with UNC. UNC has looked a fair bit better than Duke has this season. And Duke came back from down 10 late in this game to to take a lead. And and there were a couple moments. They, they, they managed basically the, the... It wasn't that Duke made Carolina punt that often. It's that Duke managed to turn Carolina over a couple of times. Um May by himself lost two fumbles, which is a you know I'm sure something that that, that they're worried about, uh, and and so Duke was able to to take the ball back in a couple of key situations. Hey, but, and, and Car- Carolina was zero for two on fourth down as well. That, those right. were big plays. So so Duke was able to turn Carolina over, but but not really able to stop them on offense so much. So that was I mean other than those other than those those fourth downs, not not a ton of um, not a ton of punting. Carolina only punted the ball twice. So uh, Carolina's offense was really able to do most of what it wanted against Duke. And then the other, on, on the other side of the ball, Duke was able mostly to get away other than, you know, right there early in the game, Duke was able to get away with a lot on offense. Duke was able to, to run. Um, Riley Leonard was able to, he, he himself was able to run a lot. He was Duke's leading rusher yesterday, in addition to throwing for 245 yards through the air, also managed to to pick up 130 on the ground, um, including one enormous touchdown run. That was like maybe the highlight play of the game for Duke. So uh, a lot of good in this game, of course, a lot of bad too. Overall, uh, I, I think I have the same takeaway that I had from the Georgia Tech game. Enormously disappointing that Duke isn't able to leave with a victory, but but we got to at least feel a little good that the Duke is able to to run out so many positive plays in a game like this where, look, I think Carolina probably has better talent than Duke does. They had looked better to this point in the season. Duke very and, – and, and we all know, we've been. You go to a Duke-UNC game at Wallace Wade Stadium, even in a good year, the crowd is going to be majority Carolina fans, if not 50-50 at, the, at best for Duke. Uh, so there were, Duke, uh, there, wait, there, there were a lot of Duke fans there. Yes, there, there were, were plenty of Carolina fans, but the, the Duke fans showed out for that game yesterday. I but, think that's his point. But, but there were, but what, what what I was listening for, uh, there was one, I'm trying to remember which play it was. There was one play where I think, uh, maybe one of the calls that got overturned in Duke's favor. I was listening very carefully to the, 
crowd reaction and the crowd reaction on on things where you would expect either a lot of cheers or a lot of boos, depending on if the game is home or away. The crowd reaction was mixed. That was that was my impression. So I, I don't think we got a shot of the stadium where I could tell. And honestly, it was dark. It's it, it's hard to see. Uh, you know, a lot of the colors end up overlapping at night. Both sides, you know, have black. Uh, they both have a lot of people wear navy blue. So uh, you, you can't really tell from looking at the crowd what it was like. But the sound was that it sounded pretty even. Even in, in, in all of that atmosphere, Duke was able to compete with Carolina. And it's a bummer that they didn't pull this one out. I'm, I'm The last two minutes of this game were devastating to watch. I was going to point that out, but I'll say that this game was just a range of emotions, right? Like Duke jumps out, it gets to a 21 to 10 lead. And then UNC storms back, takes the lead. Then Duke storms back, takes the lead. Then UNC takes the lead again. And then Duke catches up or only to fall a little bit short. And yeah, those last two minutes were especially devastating because it went from, you know, third and one, or I think it was third and one or fourth and one. We throw a touchdown, what would have been the clinching touchdown. It gets called back due to a chop block. And it, it was just one of those things where you could tell those guys let it all out only to see that yellow hanky on the on the field. It just it's absolutely it was an absolute demoralizing, backbreaking penalty. And you know, eight penalties for 85 yards on the day. And it's not like UNC was clean either. They also had eight penalties, I believe, for 81 yards. So that was pretty inevitable, but I feel like ours came at the most crucial moments of the football game and throughout the football game where it stalled drives or it ended drives because they weren't able to get into a position to convert on a fourth down or convert a, for, uh, a, a touchdown. So uh, I, for me, it was, yeah, there's a lot to take away with that's positive. And I think the, the over the overarching theme is UNC is supposed to be a much better football team than Duke is. And Duke hung with them literally until the end of the game and probably had no business being as close or, you know, even again, having some of the leads that they did in the grand scheme of things. So I take that as a dub in the sense that our guys competed, they pl- they played hard and they were in the position still at the end to win the ball game. But I know they're not going to like moral victories. Um, there's just too many of them in and all of us have been through it, right? Like, you know, Sam, you work for the Duke football team. I work for the Duke football team. We see, Jason, you saw some years where moral—I mean, you—you you were in the Spurrier years. There were there were no moral victories. Oh, that so, was good years of football, <laughs> right? And so, for me, like at a certain point, you just you just want to dispense with the moral victories. You want to actually put W's in the win column. This was one I thought we could have had, and it just slipped away from us at the end. But I think this team is learning. That hey, we need to do better about execution in the final few minutes of the ball game to really put games out of out of reach, so that teams don't feel like they can hang in there and steal victories away from us. And in the context of the rest of the season, I think we were pretty bullish on Duke being able to make a bowl game a few weeks ago. They lost against Georgia Tech, a game that I think we were hoping they were going to win, but was a fairly even match. Carolina is not a game that. Duke was expected to win would have been great to steal one here. Duke has two more, much more winnable games against Boston college and Virginia tech and three harder games against Miami Pitt and wake forest. So Duke either needs to do exactly what is expected of them in those final five games and, and, and beat BC and Virginia tech, or 
if another one of those goes south, they need to steal one against a better opponent who will be favored. So, Sam, to your point, my my biggest takeaway from this game, uh, other than the frustration and anger, is that this Blue Devil team can play with anyone in the conference. I'm not saying they'd be favored. I'm not saying they have, you know, that that they that it's a 50-50 game, but I'm saying that Duke can be competitive with any team in the ACC. And I, I'm not even excluding Clemson in that uh, because this Carolina club that that Duke really should have beaten, that we played toe-to-toe with the entire game, and if, if it's not for a couple really, really bad breaks, we win that game. This Carolina team is is probably favored to win, you know, our division of the conference and, and make the ACC championship game. They're, they're certainly one of the, you know, one of a couple clubs who are right in there. And and you're absolutely right that Duke will, will almost certainly be favored against BC and Virginia Tech. Um, but the other games on our schedule, Miami, Pitt, Wake Forest, Duke won't be favored, but Duke won't be a prohibitive underdog. If, if they are, bet on the Devils because – Duke has a chance in every single one of those games. That is what that is my takeaway from the past few weeks of watching Duke football is that with basically the same personnel that was getting blown out every week last year, Mike Elko and the rest of this coaching staff has these guys competing and in games every single time. And they they go down to Miami next week who just beat Virginia Tech on the road and it again, they have a lot of tendencies to let teams into ball games and also let teams take ball games. So uh, being down in Miami, I think the answer to Duke is to keep competing, to keep playing the way they are. Yeah, there's going to be mistakes along the way, and that's going to be the frustrating part as they work those out. But being competitive is the key because there are teams, again, like a Miami, like a Virginia Tech, like a Boston College, who will let you stay in the ball game if you're competitive. And that's where hopefully these lessons that they've taken from the last couple of weeks will be applied. If there's a close game next week, this Saturday in Miami, Duke has the ball at the end and they're up or, or maybe within a few points. I have more confidence that they're going to figure out a way to get the ball in the end zone. It may not happen, but at least that confidence is growing in this bet in this football team. So I think that's the key here. Take those lessons learned. This was a, a, a really, you know, devastating loss, but don't let it be a part of the coda of a devastating season. Use it to flip it around and take it out of the next opponent. Hey, guys, um, before we wrap it up, uh, because I'm sure there are some Duke fans who watch the game out there who are listening to this podcast who are going to say, how can you not talk about the refs? How can you not talk about the officiating? And, Donald, you addressed it a little bit. Um, uh, the, the chop block call was close. I, I have, a, I have a, a good friend who who has been ranting about that call um, for the past 24 hours. He is uh, he, he thinks it was a terrible call. Um, I actually think the the bad the bad call by the refs that changed the game and that helped Carolina win this game was a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter, the roughing the passer call on Duke. It was going to end a series for Carolina. It was a third down play. Carolina was going to be done. Their series was going to be over. Instead, they get 15 yards on a I, – I don't know how you bring the quarterback down other than that. And it's something that we are starting to see more and more in football and and there there's a huge issue going on in football right now my atlanta falcons were just robbed of a victory over tampa bay last week i was gonna say of, this is a, I was gonna say this was a tom brady type of rough in the passer call that was in the fourth quarter yeah i mean grady jarrett tackles tom brady the the nfl by the way has now fined tom brady tom brady got a fine because he kicked at grady jarrett 
And they and the NFL reviewed the play and they said, yeah, there's no there's no fine on Grady Jarrett. He didn't do anything wrong, even though he was called for a 15 yard penalty that that caused the Falcons to lose that football game. Um, we saw the Kansas City, the the football game on Monday night had another one that where it was just a ridiculous roughing the passer call that took away a fumble. They they've got to figure out a way. The umpires, the referees, the folks who govern the, this game have got to figure out a way to fix this because it is becoming a huge problem. Uh, the last thing that I did want to mention is basically on on the defensive side. And I thought the defense played fairly well despite the number of points that were scored. I thought they handled themselves pretty well last night. I think the one thing that they have to limit, and we've talked about this at several games this year, is limit the big play. And it was a lot, just a couple of big plays that kind of, you know, were able to, again, relieve some pressure from UNC's offense and allow them to work. And I think if they give up fewer of those big plays, they get off the field quicker. So again, Jason, some of those series that you're talking about end a little bit earlier and give us a little bit better field position for us to go the other way. So again, these are minor things that they can clean up on. And really when it comes down to it, it's about execution, being in those moments, learning how to react to them. And now that they have reacted to them and, and the chips may not have fallen the way they want to, hopefully they're learning from that so that the next time they're in that situation, they can, as to, to borrow from Carol Lawson, they can handle the hard better. Yeah. You know, speaking of those big plays, hats off to the Carolina receivers because there were a number of balls that, uh, that Drake may threw downfield through a long way downfield, like 20 plus yards downfield. And I thought, I thought, you know, this is like a, you know, you got a 10, maybe 20% chance of making this completion. And the Carolina receivers were making like one handed catches and falling to the ground, diving, like they, they hit on like four of those. And that was a huge difference in the game. Um, I, I'm trying to recall, it, it, there may have been one or two of them that they missed. But I mean, on those 20, 25% plays, Carolina hit on like 80% of them in this game. And that's a huge reason why the Tar Heels managed to beat the Blue Devils. One final thing, we haven't said his name, but he deserves a lot of praise uh, on offense. And that's Riley Leonard. I thought he had a hell of a game last night. Um you know, the one interception that he had is, you know, the very, like, very last play of the game. Yeah, meaningless. But, yeah, meaningless. But, like, I mean, he had the 74-yard touchdown. I thought he commanded the offense very well. He kept the guys in it. He kept the guys energized. And, again, on the sidelines, I saw him going around and making sure that guys were staying focused and staying positive as the game was going on. Um, he's been, he, you know, we've talked about his progression throughout the year, and I thought he took a nice leap yesterday uh, with his play. So I just wanted to commend him for what he did on the field. I think all the offense did well, but that was uh, due in no small part to uh, the the effort that he gave throwing the football and running the football. Look, I thought Jordan Waters had a great game running the ball. Mm -hmm. Almost had 100 yards on the ground, averaged more than six yards per carry. Um, really, really nice job by him. Uh, Jalen Calhoun was great on the receiving end. Uh, yeah, the, the Blue Devils had an excellent offensive game. Uh, really quick, Sam, I, I said this to you. Carolina is the worst tackling team I've ever seen. On Riley Leonard's 74-yard run, there are like nine different Carolina guys, I think, who touch him. None of them bother to tackle him. It was – this is a terrible tackling team. Jason, that said, there were a couple plays where, where Carolina managed to run down some Duke guys. I can't remember which uh, which Duke player it was who had nearly like a wide-open – field to the end zone and one of Carolina's much larger linebackers managed to catch up to him and take him down. But uh, yeah, for the most part, it, this was not a game where, uh, 
where I think it was Terry. I think it was Terry Moore. Terry Moore had a run where it looked like he was going to go all the way. And and one of the Carolina linemen like just got his foot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, I had, I turned on this game right after watching the Alabama Tennessee game where, uh, which was game. I I mean, look, if you wild game, if you don't care about, if you don't care about the quality of the teams, the Duke Carolina game was just as fun as the Bama Tennessee game. The problem is that it was a game between Duke and UNC rather than Alabama and Tennessee, but uh, <laughs> even less defense being played in that affair. Uh, th- that was, that was a wild, wild game. So it was, it was a fun afternoon of football, even if the, uh, even if the outcomes weren't as fun. All right, guys. So that's, that's it. We're going to, we're going to wrap up the football conversation. Now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, some basketball talk, ACC Media Day, and Ken Pomeroy tells us what he thinks of the Blue Devils' chances for the next season. Stick with us. Guys, we're back from the break, and we need to talk a little bit about ACC Media Day. Earlier this week, each ACC basketball team took their head coach and two players to meet with all the media, uh, to do press conferences and answer questions and all, all that other kind of stuff. The Blue Devils, of course, had John Shire in attendance, his first time doing an ACC Media Day as a head coach. I think we'll be saying his first time a lot with John Shire <laughs> this season. <laughs> Roach and Grandison also joined him as Blue Devil players there answering questions and stuff like that. I want to mostly talk about John Shire because that's the one I watched the most of. Um, probably the headline... He said that Derek Whitehead is doing great in his recovery. He said he has, quote, entered the next phase. I don't know how many phases there are in the road to recovery for Derek Whitehead, but he's on yeah, to the is next that, is it is it like two of ten, or are we talking like two of three? <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure. Uh, the cone of silence, the uh, injury cone of silence that always exists at Duke is in full effect on Derek Whitehead. But, uh, but Shire says um, it, it seems like Derek is on the floor for some stuff. Not a full participant, but, you know, maybe doing some walkthroughs and things like that. Um, Shire commented that even though the Blue Devils are used to roster turnover, that this is obviously nothing new for Duke. He said, quote, this is the most new we've ever had, which I thought was an interesting comment from him. Um, He said he really wants Duke to play fast. He wants us to push the ball. And he said that our offense is going to be all about sharing the ball, not one on one, which is somewhat different from, you know, what we saw just a year ago. Last year, Duke did a lot of putting the ball in in Paulo's hands, in Wendell's hands, Trevor Keel's hands, um, even Jeremy Roach at times, and just letting them go one-on-one and create stuff. And John Shire says that's not what this current Duke team is going to do. Um, he thinks that this Duke team can be an elite defensive team. He used that word, elite, uh, which I, I find fascinating. And I, I, you know, I think that jives with a, a lot of what we've observed so far um, about the makeup of this club. And then uh, one comment about um, Derek Lively, uh, Derek Lively, sorry. Um, he said that Lively is not really a big man. Um, and it sounds like Shire expects Lively to play on the perimeter a lot on offense. Uh, again, that's something we saw a little bit of in the in the scrimmage video that we got access to, the secret scrimmage video that we were able to, to look at, um, that Lively wasn't camped out in the post. And then the last comment I had about what John Shire had to say at ACZ Media Day, John Shire loves Luther Vandross. He said, I'll take his voice over anybody. Good call, John. That is, I, a, I that is a smart man. That is a smart man. Wait, hang on. 
Can we go back and talk about the basketball? I I don't know how to react to to John Shire being into Luther Vandross, other than the implications for wanting to hear one shining moment at the end of his season. But if Derek Lively's playing on the perimeter significantly on offense, is Duke not going to get any offensive rebounds this year? Like only when Ryan Young is in the game? Well, no, just because you're on the perimeter doesn't mean that when the ball starts to advance toward the basket or when a guy puts up a shot, you don't have other guys crashing the boards. Um, you know, I, could, be, I, could could be tough. I think the the one thing that I zeroed in on was two things. One, he talked about the tempo. Wait, 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 Don, Donald, the, the one thing you zeroed in on is two things? Well, no, no. <laughs> well, he didn't talk. About, I, I'm going to insert the second thing. So the one thing that he did talk about was tempo, how he wanted us to be a faster basketball team. Now I'm inserting the second thing. He's also talked in the past about being, you know, a team that shoots the ball from beyond the arc a lot, right? Like we're going to see more threes this year. I wonder when you combine the two, I'm thinking if an offense similar to that, especially with passing the ball around, an offense similar to that of the Golden State Warriors is in effect here uh, at Duke University. Mainly, I say that because, one, we do have Duke connections because we have them in just about every good team in the NBA now. But I think when it comes to that type of offense, running the floor a lot, passing the ball a lot, and getting it into the hands of your shooters, yeah, we don't have a Steph Curry or Clay Thompson on, on this team, but we have guys that can shoot the three and shoot the three well. I think the idea here is to work the ball around, and that may help with some of this offensive rebounds because – it's not like Golden State is not getting any offensive rebounds in their offense. It's because when guys are moving around, there's always going to be someone flowing through the post on the back on the back cut. So when that happens, you'll have guys to be able to shoot the ball, but also have a guy coming in and at least one guy, maybe two, that are coming in with positioning to get an offensive rebound if it does hit iron and go that way. So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, as we look forward, I know we're, we're going to talk about it maybe later this week, but as we look forward to Countdown to Crazes, seeing what kind of offense that we're going to see, some of the sets that we have, the, the secret practice, the secret scrimmage video that we have didn't really have any offensive sets that we could tell um, other than kind of the basic motion offense. But I wonder as they get more intricate, do they start doing some of these things like we see some pro teams do, working the ball around the perimeter or also working it from side to side to get an open three-point shot? I know we talked recently about how John Shire had named Jeremy Roach the sole captain on this team and that we thought that the only other guy that might have been in consideration was Jacob Grandison, like that he uh, accompanied John Shire and Jeremy Roach to ACC Media Day. It does seem like he's going to play a big role, even if he's not playing 30 minutes a game, which could happen. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how the rotation on the wing is going to shake out this season but at least means that he's going to be taking an important leadership role on this team. And so I appreciate that John Shire is, is trying to work him in. As you said, Jason, we're going to be talking uh, a lot this year about the first time John Shire does X. And so he's going to need all the help he, he can get from the coaching staff, but also from the experienced players. And I know I wasn't here for the conversation that you guys had on the last show about uh, the captain's uh, uh, slots. But as you guys know, in the past, we have had captains added midseason. I think you may see Jacob Grandison or even Ryan Young possibly get added to those captaincy ranks later on down the year if they show uh, John Shire that they're worthy of that position. But I, I think it is great to see him 
you know, in the kind of ACC media fray, especially as a transfer, because it's not necessarily something that a transfer ends up doing. All right, guys. Uh, I, I, there's one other thing that came out of ACC Media Day that we definitely need to talk about, um, and that is NCAA tournament expansion. Um, John uh, John Shire was asked about this, and and Shire said, "I'm not there with that yet." He, John Shire's not yet ready to change up the makeup of the NCAA tournament, which many people say is perfect, perfect as it is. However, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said, and I quote, "The time is now." to expand the NCAA tournament. He said he's not interested in cutting back on automatic qualifiers, you know, the the making sure that every conference has a shot, has a team that gets in the tournament, but he wants more space for, and I quote, programs that expend high resources. He's talking about Power 5 teams. He's talking about teams like, um, you know, from the ACC, like a Syracuse, um, you know, and from the Big Ten and SEC Power conference teams, he wants to see more of them in the NCAA tournament. Of course, just a couple of weeks ago, the SEC's Greg Sankey said something very similar, which means that all this is probably going to happen, that they're probably going to change the makeup of the NCAA tournament, expand it. I don't know how much they'll expand it. I think that, you know, maybe they go four more teams. Maybe they go eight or 16 or who knows how many more. It's, oh, God, it's, it's. It's terrible. I, I think it's a, a bad, bad idea. But yeah, Donald, go ahead. What what do you think about this notion that we're going to change the NCAA tournament? I don't like it, um, but I'm going to be forced to like it when they add four more teams. I think the real issue here is that as a as a Duke fan, we're kind of we're kind of blessed in a way. Very rarely is this going to apply to us. This extra these extra four teams. We're we're usually not on the on the bubble, so to speak. Um, I know we've had. Uh, a missed tournament a couple years ago, but like that's not something that is really things that we have to worry about. This is for, like you said, the Syracuse's, the NC States, the Virginia techs of the world. Um, or if in the, in, you know, in the big, in the big 10, maybe like the Minnesotas, like those type of teams. I think for us, when we look at this, if they logistics are, are fine, and they switch those up a little bit. I think when we talked about this back over, you know, late spring, early summer, I talked about just putting the the first four games. There's no reason to have those in Dayton, like zero reason. Just put those. If you're having someone going to be playing in a pod in Greensboro on Friday, then have them play that first round in Greensboro on Wednesday so that they don't have to go anywhere. Just make it where the logistics are a little bit better. And then this won't be an issue and you can maybe expand it a little bit more. But if the way, if, if it's at the current, you know, format as, as everyone going to Dayton and then spreading out all over the country, like, we're we're barely ready to have the tournament on a Tuesday, like the, even the play-in games. So adding a few more is just going to make it where this feels like overload. And I don't think it's necessarily a good idea. I don't know what kind of superstitions you believe in, Donald, but but this could be Duke. Uh, we, we have no idea what's going to happen. No, that's to true. Duke, I just said Duke traditionally, we haven't, traditionally we haven't had to worry about it. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll keep wearing my, my lucky socks. I don't love the further tournament tournament expansion. I feel like the teams that get into the tournament now, the the ones who are on the cusp, the the you know seventh, eighth, ninth team in a given power conference, or maybe the you know third, fourth team in in one of the maybe secondary conferences, 
they don't really expect to. I, I know that some of these 11 seeds have, have made it to the final four and those runs are fun. But for the most part, the teams that are getting in and, and the teams that are like comfortably in are the teams that have proven themselves during the season to be capable of winning a lot of good games and that we already let teams into the tournament that have almost no interesting wins on their resume. So why are we trying to to make the field more expansive than that? I get I get why we're doing it. It, it doesn't make it more fun as a um, as a spectator. There's a reason we don't really watch, even those of us that love college basketball, there's a reason we don't watch the NIT. It's because those teams didn't make the NCAA yeah. tournament. And if you right. take the one seeds from the NIT and you put them in the NCAA tournament, nothing changes. Also, at the end of the day, when you think about it, like at a certain point, you add a couple of teams to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's it's I guess it's more palatable than adding like, but this is not what they're going for. They're not. Like all these big conferences aren't talking about adding two, three, four teams. They each want to add two, three, four teams, each of these conferences. So you're talking about, you know, 16 to 20 more teams in the tournament, which means one one of three things is going to happen. The first Monday in in April is not going to be a national championship anymore because you're going to have to extend it a week. Or you have to either get rid of regular season games or conference tournaments. And none of that is anything that anyone wants to do. And I think everyone thinks that if you do that, like if you add 20 teams, you have to add weeks to the NCAA tournament and you have to take them from somewhere else. I don't like that scenario right there, but that's honestly where we're headed because all these teams aren't talking about adding one of their teams. They're talking about adding multiple. And if you add up the number of conferences that are are talking about expanding, that means that this expansion that they're looking for is going to be pretty big. Look, gentlemen, there's a simple reason why this is this is almost certainly going to happen, and it's money. If you are, and and <clears throat> I'm going to tie it back to something that we discussed extensively on this podcast over the summer. Football is ruling the roost. At the moment, conference, conference expansion, conference changes, teams moving from place to place is all because of football. The people who are people who love basketball and who are in charge of college basketball would love to have a say at least a little a little bit of the conversation be about them when it comes to all these major moves that are happening within conferences and and the future of the NCAA and so they are saying to themselves well how do we do that we got to make more money we have to be able to compete with football on a dollars basis and to them that means more NCAA tournament games i'm not they sure it's right they, I, i'm not yeah, sure it's going to work that that's money their is theory that money is not making basketball on par with football. I'm not talking on par, but if you if you boost, I don't, you know what? Let's say if you add another, I don't know, six dozen games or so, do you increase the amount the NCAA tournament is worth by eight percent or ten percent? No, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't no. know the math on it. Those games but, are all happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, well, hold on. You're. I think that you are making presumptions about how. They're going to expand the tournament that may not be true. I don't know what's going on. Look, you know, I'm a fan. I have no inside knowledge. But if I was one of the people, if I was one of the power brokers, if I was Greg Sankey or Jim Phillips, I'd be thinking a lot more creatively than just, hey, let's go from 68 to 72. Yeah, that's going to fix things. Uh, uh. I'd be thinking about ways of doing things a little bit differently and maybe making the, the pie a little bit bigger for college basketball. I don't know what it is. And I'm not sure I like it, 
But that's what they're thinking. I guarantee you that is what they're thinking about. Yeah, and that's why I, I think I think most fans agree with us that that sort of expansion isn't needed. But I do think there's probably a segment of the population that still would want it, right? Like, there's a lot of things that I don't need, but I'll take it. And I think more basketball is what some people are looking for. And that's what they're hoping fans will latch on to, not the, the other logistics that would be involved. Yo, like you said, Donald, if you're a uh, if you're a Minnesota or a Washington or a Mississippi State or a Virginia Tech basketball fan, you, this is manna to you. This is like, oh, <laughs> this is what you desperately want. Exactly. All right, guys. Hey, we, we got we got one more topic we've got to hit here. Ken Pomeroy, friend of the podcast, Ken has released his 2023 preseason basketball rankings. Now, it is very important. I want everyone to understand something. Come January, this won't mean squat. <laughs> it's irrelevant. <laughs> These preseason rankings will gradually be weeded out. And at some point, you know, it, it, by gradually, by the way, once you hit December or so, these start to become almost meaningless. This, this, Jason, this is like the secret, the, the, the practice videos that we get in the summertime from Duke. This is the raw uncut Ken Pomeroy rankings. Like there's nothing, there's, there's nothing about these rankings other than that he plugged in some numbers and put them in order. And as he said on this pod, on the show, they're not going to mean much after the first week of the season, much less January. Exactly. But we will, uh, because it is the preseason and we are as desperate for content as Ken Pomeroy is, we will discuss them very briefly. The Duke Blue Devils come in at number 15. 15th, which is far lower than you'll find Duke in most of the other preseason polls. He says that Duke will be absolutely elite on offense. He expects us to be the third best offensive efficiency team in the country. Defense, Ken is not a fan of the Blue Devils defense. He thinks Duke will be 43rd, the number 43 defense of all teams in the NCAA. And as a result, you put those two numbers together, he gets us as the 15th best team in the land. By the way, very interesting. He does not project UNC to win the ACC. He has that as the Virginia Cavaliers. He says Virginia, number five team in the land. He actually thinks the Virginia offense is going to be fairly decent, 14th best offense, and he thinks they'll have the fourth best defense. I'm a little surprised. Virginia, usually he would pick them for the best defense, but he's got them fourth best. But he has Virginia as the best team in the ACC, UNC as the second best team. He has Virginia Tech actually pretty close to Duke. Then it goes Miami, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Clemson, on and on. He has Florida State at number 65, which I think is a little low for Florida state guys, there's a, a, a lot to unpack here. We could discuss all, you know, 360 odd teams. I think that would be a little exhaustive. I don't think we want to quite go there. Sam, what did you take away from Ken Pomeroy's preseason rankings? Well, he told us that Duke was going to be low in his preseason rankings. And given that Duke is running out a first year head coach. And as we've said, one returning player with notable experience wearing a Duke uniform, and really only two guys between Roach and Grandison who have significant, you know, high D1 experience. 15 seems pretty good to me. Uh, that That's probably about where I would have guessed Duke should be ranked in the preseason, somewhere in that in that mid-teens area. I thought when Ken Palm told us that, he was going to be like in the 20s for Duke. Uh, so most of this is being propped up by Roach, Grandison, and the fact that Duke has a few really star uh, recruits coming in. Obviously, Derek Lively, we've talked about, Tariq Whitehead and Kyle Filipowski part of that. Jason, I keyed in on the fact that he has Virginia ahead of UNC uh, as well. I think that Ken's read on this is that 
we're not just thinking about how UNC played down the stretch last year. We're thinking about UNC's entire body of work from last season, which was not a team that's top five in the country, uh, even given the the level of talent that they have coming back. Virginia brings back more than Carolina does, which is probably why he has has Virginia ranked ahead of UNC. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and and UNC is being talked about as one of the two, three, four best teams among sort of the the standard pollsters. But instead, you have Kentucky, you have Texas, um, you have Gonzaga. Um, Texas, I, I find more oh, surprising. Wait, Tennessee they, fourth. The, the, the two Tennessee surprises fourth. are Texas two and Tennessee four. Those are the two teams I'm like, that's a little bit frothy. <laughs> yeah, but but Duke is actually right around where I, I, I would have pegged them at. The, the fact that the defense is rated so much lower than the offense is also surprising. Um, so where Duke ends up, not surprising. The fact that he projects Duke to have the third best offense and the 43rd best defense seems a little... So I, I would have thought that that both would have been in the high teens, low 20s. Uh, Duke brings in a, a known uh, defensive wonderkin in, in Derek Lively, which I thought would have propped their their number up a little bit. And I'm I'm honestly not sure where where Duke's number three ranking on, on offense comes from. Uh that's actually the part that I feel the most shaky about. I feel more confident about Duke's defensive ability coming into this season than I do its offense. So it's possible we need to bring Ken back at some point to to talk about this in a little bit more depth. Yeah, I, I, I zeroed in on those, but there was one other thing that we always like to kind of go through uh, when we get the schedule out, and that's the non-conference schedule, um, and, and talking about how strong or weak it may be. I'm not going to go through all of the teams. Uh, well, actually, let me do it real quick, okay? We start with Jacksonville. They're 172nd on this list. USC Upstate, 301. They're our lowest-ranked uh, non-conference opponent. Then followed up by the Champions Classic Kansas, our highest our strongest rated opponent, they're eighth. Delaware, 175th. Bellarmine, 242nd. Oregon State, 228. That's part of the PK 85. So we'll have two more games, I believe, with that that aren't reflected on this uh, so far because we don't know what those teams will be. And then, well, but we, House- we know one of them is pretty likely to be Gonzaga. I mean, if Duke makes it there, yeah. Right. But they haven't listed it on, on here, obviously, because we don't know who will be between. Uh, Oregon State in that potential game. Um, we also have Ohio State 32nd, uh, Iowa 23rd, and then the last game, Maryland Eastern Shore 298. So we have four teams or three teams, oh, oh, at least right now, uh, that are 100th or or higher. And then we have a lot of guys that are 175 or lower. Pretty standard non-conference schedule, if you ask me about what we've kind of done in the last few years. So really quick, I just want to mention some other conference kind of related stuff. By the way, we talked about the fact that he has Virginia winning the ACC. Um, Ken Pomeroy's pr- computer projects Virginia will go 15 and five and Duke and UNC will both go 14 and six in the ACC. Um, and then uh, the team in fourth place, he has Virginia Tech going 12 and eight. The ACC, by the way, he says it will be the fourth best conference. Um, uh, the, uh, the The Big Ten which has 11 teams in the top 60 is a really interesting situation. 11 top 60 teams in the big 10, but Indiana only team in the top 20. And like you said, Donald, um, Iowa's 23. Uh, They're projected by Ken Pomeroy as the second best team in the big 10. And then the big 12, which is the top conference, according to Ken Pomeroy has three of the top eight, which is just, you know, man, that's going to be a, as a tough, tough conference. But yeah, like we said, 
none of this will matter in a few months. It'll be completely irrelevant. Um, but I feel pretty confident, like Sam was saying, I, I feel like that number 43 rating for the Duke defense, we will do better than that. Like, you know, like we said earlier, John Shire expects the Blue Devils to be an elite defensive team. Um, uh, Sam, we're going to we're going to definitely do the Ken Palm defensive rank as part of our, our stats game, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and I'm I'm curious to to hear how you guys guess on this. I need to uh, write up the parameters for the stats game. We don't do them just for reference. Those who who may have joined our uh, listenership uh, less than a year ago. We play the stats game where we where we guess the stats. We don't actually lock in those picks until after the exhibition season and countdown to craziness and before the first regular season game. So I have a couple more weeks to finalize that list of topics and send them out to you. Yeah, but, you know, this is a great opportunity, folks. Send us an email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got a suggestion of a stat, you know, something related to the Blue Devil season that you'd like to hear us make projections and predictions on, I think that could be a lot of fun. All right, guys, uh, one really, really quick last thing I wanted to mention. We have talked a lot in the past few weeks about the one and done rule potentially going away. Um, that, uh, you know, there was talk that the uh, the NBA was going to get rid of the one and done rule at some point in the future. And uh, and every time we talked about it, we said, well, it's not a sure thing. They could still negotiate it, maybe turn it. Well, it turns out um, that neither the Players Association nor the NBA owners apparently are, as they're preparing for their next collective bargaining uh, uh, agreement negotiation. Neither side is like, yeah, one and done. That's something I definitely want to deal with. Um, the 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 latest word is apparently it will not be a major factor on the table. That neither side is willing to sort of make concessions to make one and done go away. And as a result, it sounds like one and done is going to stick around for a while longer. And that is because if you take all thirty teams and all fifteen players on each team, that is four hundred and fifty players that do not want kids younger than them to start taking their jobs. That's basically what it's boiling down to. There you have it. That's going to wrap it up for us on this edition of the DBR podcast. Hey, wait a minute, Sam. Jason. Yeah. Yes. Countdown to craziness is this Friday. I was the, just going to say that. The first, I was literally about to tease that. The first countdown to craziness of the John Shire era. For all the firsts that are happening, John Shire's first countdown to craziness. I have one question. I think we're going to come back later this week and do we a are. little bit of preview. I have one preview of the preview question that i wanted to ask the two of you to we have i have one prediction we're, we'll do this is the the first prediction of the season will coach k be in attendance at countdown to craziness donald no jason not, or i'm sorry i'm sorry not no. that we can see jason no not a chance in fact um on the cbs sports ion college basketball podcast I think just this past week they were talking about what's the over under on the number of games that Coach K will attend in Cameron, and they were both like they were like seven, nine, you know, that kind of thing. I was like, the number's zero. I'm telling you, the number is zero. He is not going to show up at all. I think he's showing up to countdown. So that's that's my guess. Lock it in. See you uh, we later this week. There you go. <laughs> we will be back. We will be back in just a few days for a preview of what we're hoping to see on Countdown to Craziness. Until then, that's Donald. That's Sam. I'm Jason, and this is the Duke Band. Play us out and 